¡La luna! ¡Estoy en la luna! And welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook, and I am thrilled to be playing the song El Esqueleto. It's from the band Los Deformes. They are a surf band out of Rafael, Spain. It's from their EP, Saturno 5. You can find them at losdeformes.bandcamp.com. Follow the link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. When you're done listening to this episode, of the podcast, I've got Anthony Wendell on deck. Anthony's a longtime friend of the show. He's been on the show quite a bit, but there's something new going on with him, and we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about a movie with him as well. Before we get to all that, though, I have some feedback to go over. This is from Joe Iden. He is the man behind the Fandom Radio podcast. You can find that in iTunes and wherever quality podcasts are, well, downloaded. He wrote in about last week's episode. Hey, Derek and MKR fans commenting on your last show when you covered the ape man i gotta tell you i was a little surprised when you and mr troy howarth couldn't place the actor henry hull henry hull starred in universal's first werewolf film werewolf of london in 1935 okay uh, i'm going to interrupt the email right here because i think probably what happened was the audio that i used to make that show last week was audio that came off of a recovered hard drive as listeners know at least listeners from the past couple of weeks know i had a hard drive failure not too long ago lost a bunch of interviews well this was recovered and we were saying henry hall now i might have also been dealing with some allergies or a cold or something like that at the time and and of course there's a skype and phone connection issue that sort of thing henry hall was the actor in the ape man henry hall was not in the eight man but no you're right werewolf of london and he's really good in it and you know what because joe's talking about henry hull let's get back to the email mr hull also co-starred with charles bronson in one of my favorite vincent price films 1961's master of the world master of the world that is also a really good one that at some point i want to talk about here on the show just haven't gotten around to scheduling it yet but I would love to do it. I mean, anything with Vincent Price, solid. And Charles Bronson and Vincent Price, it's an awkward combination, something you wouldn't really go to, but they did it a couple of times, and it's always fun. You know, I'm going to mention another Henry Hull movie uh, that I also really like. It's actually a movie directed by William Castle, and it's not necessarily one people think about because it's not a gimmick type film. It doesn't have the tingler buzzers in the seat or the ghost viewers or any of that stuff. This is a movie, I believe it's from 1950, called Hollywood Story. And it stars Henry Hull and my girl Julie Adams. I love that film so much. And it's kind of sort of got a horror connection, not just Henry Hull, but at one point a character's watching Phantom of the Opera in the film. So someday I'll talk about that film on the show as well. All right, Joe talks a little bit more about The Ape Man, so let's get to that. The Ape Man is a film I haven't seen yet. You and your co-host, as always, made it sound like one I need to see. A lot of those small, quickie flicks that were made in the horror genre I haven't seen and really need to seek out. 
It's another reason why I listen to MKR to help me sort out a lot of these films that I need to check out. I always felt Bela Lugosi was always underrated in his later career. I agree that he always seemed to give it his all in no matter what he was in. I always thought he brought as much dignity as he could to his roles. I even enjoy him in the Ed Wood phase of his career. Think about this. How great would it be to be able to see Lugosi on stage in his pre-Dracula film role? Another great episode. Thank you, MKR, Joe Iden. Joe, uh, that would be, I mean, just to see Dracula on stage, Lugosi on stage in any way would be great. I would love to be able to find a way to do that. Uh, it's not going to happen. You know, nobody's got a time machine that I can borrow. I did just recently read Bela Lugosi in person by Gary Rhodes and William Kaffenberger Jr. And it's all about Lugosi's stage career. A little bit of dovetailing into what's going on film-wise for him, but he was working on stage and making movies a lot of times at the same time, and it's a fascinating read. I highly recommend people check it out. It's also available on Audible, so if you're an Audible user, it's right there. Anyway, Joe, thanks for writing in. Really appreciate it. Listeners, if you want to write in with any comments about, well, this episode, last week's episode, or the previous 300-whatever, email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Oh, and uh, just a, a point of clarification. It's 1951 that a Hollywood story came out. Not, not 1950. Not, it makes a huge deal. But someday I'm going to talk about that movie here on the show because it's truly Adams. I can't let that slide. And I also can't let any more time slide by before we get Tony here on the show. Anthony Wendell is the author of a new book. We're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about the movie The Beast of Hollow Mountain this week. Now, last week and previous weeks, I've talked about how I've had a number of episodes already, quote unquote, in the can, in the virtual can, in the pod can. Anyway, I've got a number of episodes episodes ready to go. And Anthony and I recorded about Beast of Hollow Mountain actually pretty recently, and I was planning to release it maybe about a month from now. But with the launch of the new season of Mystery Science Theater 3000 on Netflix and with The Beast of Hollow Mountain being one of the movies that they use this time around, I thought, you know what, let's bump it up. Let's get Beast of Hollow Mountain earlier in the schedule rather than later. So if you want a serious take on Beast of Hollow Mountain, well, listen to this episode. And then if you want something a little less serious, go check it out on MST3K or do it the other way around. doesn't really matter. Just sit tight because we're going to talk about Beast of Hollow Mountain with Tony Wendell right after this. devastating device the mind of man has yet created. It travels on land and in the sea. It tunnels through the earth. Its crew, all supermen with super weapons, can freeze their enemies and enslave them. Fire and fear are the gods of terror on the hidden continent. No man, no adventurer can match the nine amazing wonders of Atragon, nor the massive powers of its allegoric destroyer. We let things pile up in the DVR, we add them to our queues, we wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. 
we time shift the time shifters podcast sci-fi horror fantasy superheroes comedy action film television maybe some not so current events find us on itunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com witnessing a biological chain reaction, a geometrical progression of deadly mass. It had started casually, insignificantly, as momentous events often do. Look there. Two points off the port bow. The giant behemoth, the fire-spitting monster predicted in the Bible, its core a mass of lethal radiation. Rising from the depths of time, its strength enormous, its gargantuan ferocity a threat to London, to the world itself. We must find a way of destroying this creature in one piece. Judging by the beast's size, I would say it was powerful enough to drive a battleship. Of course, its tremendous electric charge is what projects the radiation. That's what makes the creature so deadly. Well, have you any concrete suggestions? Yes. First, block off the Thames. Hi, this is Joel Hodson, the creator of Mystery Science Theater 3000. You're listening to Monster Kid Radio. Why don't you? This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. You know, Monster Kid Radio listeners, every time I have this guy on the show, I always talk about how he runs a blog and he's a fan of these movies. But this time, I'm going to introduce him. As an author, this is the man behind the book, the handbook for surviving a giant monster attack. Welcome back to Monster Kid Radio, and congratulations on the book, Anthony Wendell. I can't thank you enough, Derek, for all the help and support, because it was you who actually directed me to the publisher. I mean, words can't tell you how thankful I am, man. Thanks so much to you, and thanks so much to the Monster Kid community. I'll expect my cut probably, what, every three months or so? Uh... Give or take. I get paid quarterly, and then (laughs) first check's not till July, so... Now that's now I'm happy to help, and, and I just want to see more Monster Kid stuff out there. The publisher is Severed Press, and they are kind of the leaders right now, I feel, in putting out kaiju fiction, so it just seemed like a natural fit. 
they definitely have a specific genre that they uh, are in. They have a genre they like to play to, and with what's upcoming, it really probably will hopefully uh, have a nice boom behind it. Sure. Now, Severed Press is a company that I was aware of during my, my last life, my previous life as a podcaster, because for a long time they were the leaders in zombie fiction. They were just doing a ton of zombie stuff. I don't know if they do a lot of zombie stuff anymore, but when it comes to kaiju fiction, that's your go-to. And, I mean, come on. You got Anthony Wendell's book. You've got the handbook for surviving a giant monster attack. Where else you need to go now? Come on. Thank you kindly. Available on Amazon. There you go. Tell, tell us about the book. Well, it's the standard, how are you going to survive if a supernatural event happens? In this case, it's what happens when the giant monsters come. Too many people's first reaction is just to get in their car and just speed off, but is that a good idea? Is that car going to get the monster's attention? Is it too loud? Should you just stay motionless? These are the questions you need to ask yourself. And that's what this book prepares you for. It asks the questions you don't and makes sure that you're ready to survive the GMEs, also known as the giant monster events. I've been playing the promo over the past few weeks here on the show. I know. I heard it. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. No, I, I'm happy to support it and, and promote the book. And I'm about halfway through it right now. I did pick it up for my Kindle. About halfway I through saw it. that, actually. It's on Goodreads. <laughs> there you go. So I'm about halfway through it right now. And listeners, this isn't like a light, fluffy piece. I mean, this is some well-thought-out uh, material and it's obvious that you know he's done his research and watched these movies over and over and over and over and over and over and over again because that's what we do as obsessive monster kids it's very well written highly recommended it's got the monster kid radio seal of approval you can quote me on that right now man wish you could put that on the amazon thing <laughs> monster kid radio seal of approval you know what i ought to do is uh, by the time we're done recording i'll go back into amazon and i'll put a review there as well so hopefully you know just move a couple copies get get some more of your book out there because i think people will dig it and you've got other things coming up i'm assuming but we'll talk about that at the end we'll sit on that because we got a movie to talk about Oh, yes. But before we do that, there's something that we have never done with this longtime recurring guest here on Monty Creator Radio. He's been a supporter of the show for years. He's a friend of mine, but yet we've never played the Classic Five. And what well, we did once, but we had a computer problem. It's been gone. It's lost to the ether, the cyber ether. Why don't we do it now? All right. You good? And, you know, what's interesting or what's good is that I actually have some new questions as well. So you're, you're going to get a combination of the first deck and the second deck. I'm up for it. So some questions that you may have never heard before. So here we go. Let me give it one more shuffle. All right. Card number one. Oh, this is from the second deck. <laughs> How appropriate. Favorite non-Toho kaiju monster. Goes straight for Gamera, especially his Guardian of the Universe trilogy. Oh, that trilogy is so good. I watch it every year. If I ever need something to ground me and remind me of why giant monsters are good, I go back to that trilogy. It's well acted and just... Well acted, well directed, and I just... Oh, yeah. To this day, I still find little details every time I go back. Just like, I never noticed that before. Like, last time I watched it with a buddy for the first time, we're watching the first movie, and... Every time they go into Asagi's room, I kept on looking for, uh, as an anime fan, I kept on trying to look for that anime Easter egg of, oh, come on, there's got to be, she has to have a poster or maybe one of the Magical Girl figurines on her desk. And then he points out to me, hey, there's a My Fair Lady poster on the back of her door. I'm like, oh, my God, I did not realize that. <laughs> it's like, holy crap, she has a Japanese My Fair Lady poster on the back of her door. 
pop culture right there. Holy crap. There you go. No, the Gamera Trilogy, uh, well, it's early to mid-90s is when that came out. Yep. Man, it is so good. It is so good. And it's not just us saying so. Kyle from the Kaiju cast is also a big fan of that. So you got three monster kids saying you got you got to check it out. So listeners, check it out. Seal of approval. All right, card number two. Which character from a classic monster movie would you like to follow on social media? Oh, that's a good one. Probably Van Helsing. Okay. Just in general. I know he probably... It'd be probably a bad idea to, for him to tweet where he's at and stuff as he's hunting vampires. You have to turn off the location feature on Facebook, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you can just see Dracula just like, what's this on my feed? Ah, oh, Van Helsing's in the area? Oh, I had dinner reservations. Oh. <laughs> Honey, we have to move again. <laughs> All right, card number three. Horror hosts. You prefer them to interact with the film? Or just shut up and show the movie. I'll have to say interact with the film. As a longtime fan and card-carrying member of the Bring Back Mystery Science Theater 3000 League, the interaction is just too good. Okay. And that's, uh, are you excited for the uh, relaunch or the, I guess the new season coming up? Not only am I excited, uh, thanks to my support level donation, tomorrow, Sunday, April 9th, I get a free 24-hour streaming preview of the new season. And now I understand why we had to record on Saturday instead of Sunday. (laughs) 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 I'm interested to see the the new take. Uh, I go back and forth on MST3K. I think listeners know that. But I'm interested to see what they do with it. All right, card number four. The giant Gila monster or the killer shrews? Oh, that's a good one. Um, Probably just because for the amount of time I've seen them, I want to go with Killer Shrews. The cold, glossy pages of True Magazine call the Killer Shrew the world's most savage mammal. You'll never venture into a forest alone after you see The Killer Shrews with James Best and Ingrid Good, motion picture horror masterpiece. The Killer Shrews. In terms of what happens in the course of the movies, I have to admit... The giant Gila monster, I know he eats people, but he doesn't seem as malicious as the shrews. The shrews, with their need for how much they have to eat in a day and the venom-induced spittle that can kill a man with a scratch, mm-hmm. they just seem uh, like a much more, if that they had been able to run amok, uh, the world would come to an end scenario. Meanwhile, with the giant Gila monster, essentially, if you know we, they had had enough resources, you just could have built a big enough wall, put some cattle in a place for a long time. You could have had a small ranch right there. You could have had a thriving community. Come see the giant Gila monster zoo. <laughs> and habitat and preserve. I mean, it, it could have been so easy. Instead, you got some hot shot loading his hot rod up with uh, nitro and blowing the little guy up just like ooh, <laughs> ouch right all right uh final question and i'm gonna admit to you um i'm actually stacking the deck i, I didn't pull this one randomly but I, this is one of my favorites that we've come up with so far for the classic five and i love hearing people's answers so we've had mecha godzilla and mechanicong but other giant monsters should have had a robotic counterpart off the top of my head i want to say mecha gamera just because of the fact that in a natural progression of where things were going, 
the next step in what happened in the like Gamera trilogy probably would have been to create their own Gamera, or at least experiment with the Atlantean technology that made him. Mm-hmm. Of course, we wouldn't be able to make the bio-engineering part, so we'd make our own robot, probably powered by something akin to the Atlantean energy sources. But at the same time, it just seems like that's just too easy. You know, like that's the go-to. You know, just like the heavy hitters of the uh, kaiju community get the robot version. Kong, Godzilla, King Ghidorah, technically because they made him a cyborg in one movie. Right, right. So digging deeper, actually. I think like someone like Manda or Megalon need a mechanical version just because they need a bit more screen time, you know? Okay. I mean, Manda was in Atragon, of course, the movie that introduced him. And then he was in Godzilla Final Wars for a blink and you missed it cameo. Right. And Megalon, well... He, of course, only had one appearance ever, but at least in that appearance, it was it's become like the cult classic of Godzilla movies, you know? Just because of its corniness and Jet Jaguar, everybody knows Megalon. He just needs more screen time in general because they didn't even bother bringing him back for Final Wars. No, they didn't, did they? No. Huh. I mean, they even gave a blink-and-you-missed-it uh, appearance to Hidora. Yeah. As he was blasted out of the water through three buildings and then blasted again to make sure he was dead. Oh, you're right. We have not seen Megalon, have we, anywhere else? I mean, he's kind of a goofy looking design, but I mean, that'd be kind of cool, uh, you know, mechanical. You know, this is a, a topic that I think about a lot because, well, <laughs> that's just how my brain works. But I would love to see, you know, I, I always go to Mothra. I want to see like a Mechana Mothra. Just I think that'd be kind of fun, but it's also maybe too easy because it's one of the bigger names, and I mean, it's just a thing that flies. Of course, you can make something robotic out of it, but still, I, it's fun to think about. And I'm sure, and I've said this before when I've asked this question, I'm sure if you go to DeviantArt, you'll find a ton of fan art of you know, Mecha Mothra, Mecha Gamera, all these others, but it's just something fun to think about for me. I totally agree. All right, so that was the Classic Five. Now that you finally played it, how do you feel? feel good. I feel really good. Excellent. All right. You warmed up. You loosened up. You ready to, to talk about this uh, kind of sort of giant monster movie? Uh, I am, partner. I am. <laughs> Saddle up. Because yep. we're going to talk about the 1956 film, The Beast of Hollow Mountain. Hold it. Looks like there's been a big struggle around here. Go all directions. See, no one has dared to come this far. Last time, you're too superstitious, Benoit. You're afraid of your own shadow. Not my shadow, senor. It's the shadow of that cursed mountain. Here is high adventure, and in the glorious and colorful Southwest, starring Guy Madison as the courageous rancher who tried to solve the secret of Hollow Mountain, hiding place of a monster spawned in the dawn of time. He dared to ride where no man had ever set foot before. Patricia Medina, the menace of the beast, stood between her and the man she loved. I'm getting married tomorrow. I do not want to be a widow or the wife of a murderer on my wedding. I've been wanting to have you on the show for a while, so when I reached out to you or you reached out to me, either way, when we connected... You were the one that recommended this movie. Had you seen it before? No, actually, I stumbled across it when I uh, made the promo for the book, actually. 
I was digging through archive.org for some free-to-use footage, and I came across them like, huh, giant monster, lost to time, and not Japanese? I think this was exactly what we were hoping for the next time we got together. Yeah, I had seen it. Oh, it might have been on Turner Classic Movies. They might have had it on TCM at one point. And then I went looking for it for on video or on DVD, on Blu-ray. And at the time... It wasn't out there. I, it just was hard to find a decent official release. Uh, there are some things online, some YouTube clips, and like you said, archive.org. But as far as having a, a solid home release, we had to wait until uh, Shout Factory got around to putting it out as part of a double feature with the movie Neanderthal Man. And I don't know how they link those two, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> It's available on Blu-ray that way now, and the transfer is really good, surprisingly good for a movie like this, which was kind of sort of forgotten about, uh, maybe even lost for a little while. I'm not sure what the history is of this or how familiar people are with it, but it, it's not a go-to. It's not one you really think about when you think about giant monster movies, especially from America, especially from this era, especially when you have things like The Valley of Guanji. Which is one of the few times where the movie that followed it actually was better than what preceded it. On the whole face of the earth today, there is no place more terrifying than the Valley of Guanji. In Technicolor. Yeah, Valley of Guanji is a solid film, and not just because it's got one of the stars from Creature from the Black Lagoon in it. It is a solid movie with some incredible Harryhausen stop motion. That's what I wanted to really talk about, which is the most interesting fact about this is the Valley of Guanji is Harryhausen. It's, you know, the legend of stop motion effects. But Beast of Hollow Mountain was written by Willis O'Brien under the pseudonym El Toro Estrella. My Spanish is terrible, sorry. Hey, I can, better than I could have done. Who was uh, Harryhausen's teacher? Yeah, his mentor, the man behind King Kong. Yeah, and so. It's so odd that the pioneer would you would you call him more the pioneer since in Harryhausen like the legend or anyways semantics aside on mm-hmm. how influential O'Brien was the fact is is that the story I feel is solid but the special effects are what fall short it's unfortunate i'm not sure how involved O'Brien was after he came up with the original story but it really is unfortunate because the stop motion just does not compare. I mean, it doesn't compare to anything O'Brien was doing and certainly anything that Harryhausen was doing. That, that's the thing. He just gave the story idea, but he's not credited with the special effects. No, he's not. It, the stop motion was actually produced by Edward Nessor. I'm thinking I'm, mis- I'm pronouncing that right. He was one of the producers on the film, uh, the Nassau brothers. Uh, there's Edward and William. They own Nassau Studios. And in the 30s, they were doing some stop motion animation pieces, something called Nighttime, which I would love to get my hands on just to check out and see. But uh, O'Brien and Harry Housen head and shoulders at least above what we saw in this film. And that's not to say it's bad. It's just quality wise. It's not up there. No, it's too bad. It's one of those few times where we're actually saying, you know what? This movie was good before the giant monster comes in. Right? Yeah, before the monster shows up, this is a decent little cowboy soap opera drama thing. You called it a love triangle when we were talking before we started recording. 
But there's an interesting little story happening here. A guy, Madison, is our American lead, you know, rugged, done a lot of Westerns in his time solid American lead carrying the cast along. We've got this love story happening kind of sort of between him and Sarita uh, played by Patricia Medina. Interesting stuff going on here. He's a rancher. He's in Mexico. So he's like the only gringo around and the person he's been hanging out a lot with is already engaged to, is it uh, Panchita? Is that the guy's name? No, 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 no. That's the, that's the little Pan- kid. Pancho and Panchita are the, father and son that's right um, it's enrique enrique rios he's the local he also is against guy madison's character jimmy ryan a rival farmer right he's got cattle himself but jimmy on the other hand has a direct uh telegram in the movie from the u.s government he's got an actual u.s government sale of beef which a government sale of beef that's going to bring in some nice dinero. Yeah, it's going to bring in some money for him. So you've got this love rivalry thing. You've got this business jealousy thing going on. It's a complex, it can be a complex story. And I don't know if we really needed the money. Now, if it didn't have the monster, we wouldn't be talking about it here. But to be a successful story, I don't think it really needed the monster. I think it's what you were getting on too. Unfortunately, because it gets the monster, it not only minimizes it, unfortunately, because kaiju can sometimes be its own minority of fans Mm -hmm. sadly Mm -hmm. it also minimizes it by putting it into the other category that people know as weird west now i am a huge fan of weird westerns i love my spaghetti westerns just straight i mean i love them so much you start putting some supernatural or monster stuff into it i'm there even something like billy the kid versus dracula jesse james meets frankenstein's daughter sign me up it's like two great tastes that go great together weird west are the reese's peanut butter cups for me i've only dabbled myself but i can easily see as a genre i wouldn't mind uh just jumping head first into for those that are not as common with it or haven't seen Billy the Kid versus Dracula or Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter, first off, shame on you. <laughs> second, second, think about it more as in more popular titles such as Wild Wild West, mm-hmm. Frisco County Jr., and most recently, Westworld. Yeah, Westworld, uh, the comic book Jonah Hex from D.C., you're looking for it in literature. Joe R. Lansdale is kind of the guy when it comes to writing this kind of stuff now. So I would recommend checking out some of his work. Dead Man's Road is a collection of one novel and a handful of novellas that are set in the Old West, but there's zombies and ghouls and Lovecraft stuff happening. And it's just fantastic work. Uh, and, and Westworld, of course, you know, the new HBO series. Wow. That's really good. Too. Oh, the original as well. Uh, the film from the 70s solid stuff so the minute you say weird west i'm halfway there (laughs) i'm already ready to go oh yeah and i would recommend you check out some of these other movies listeners if you haven't again like he said shame on you although keep in mind billy the kid versus dracula jesse james meets frankenstein's daughter a much more lower budget affair (laughs) than say like valley of guanji just just saying so the monster in this, it's a dinosaur. It's not a T-Rex. It's an Allosaur. Allosaurus. I mean, it looks okay for what it is. The first time we see it, though, I think it's the close-up of the feet, isn't it? Yeah. And that's not stop motion. That's... Puppetry. Yeah. It's it's somebody wearing some giant boots. Which really feels like giant boots. It doesn't seem colossal enough. Maybe they should have taken it at a different angle. 
but they really just didn't seem monstrous, especially in the moment. They move too fast, and the stride is not big enough. There it is. It really does look like somebody wearing some boots and, and just walking. And it's it kind of breaks the illusion a little bit when they insist on combining that with footage, the stop-motion footage of the dinosaur itself. It just doesn't gel, right? Which is something that kind of happened with O'Brien in the 50s anyway. I mean, he did do the stop-motion. Another, you might even be able to call it a Weird West, The Black Scorpion, which is a fantastic film, highly recommend it, one of my absolute favorites, You get to stop motion, but then they insist on doing a close-up of the monster's face, and it's clearly not the Black Scorpion model that we've been watching move around stop motion-wise. So I don't know if this is something that just happened with the studios whenever they worked with O'Brien. It could be coincidence. Who knows? But yeah, it just doesn't seem to gel very well. Even the color seems a little off. Yeah, also, it's just a little too much tongue, you know? I mean, I know they were going for the whole, ooh, you put, put a extendable tongue in something it gives it the whole snake fear feel to it but in this case it just really looked more comical than anything it did i went on youtube looking for other people's reviews and takes on this film just let's see if there's some insight that i can get from some of these guys and most of them are not very kind most of them are not very uh fair to the film i feel but i did see one guy who took a dinosaur model and said hmm, something doesn't look quite right and then he took like a fruit roll up and, and bunched it up and shoved it in its mouth to make it kind of wiggle around it's like oh there you go which is exactly what happens in the film it's just wiggling around and licking its lips so much it's a little distracting oh yeah oh well they can't all be king kong or guanji the actors and actresses are you familiar with them at all have you seen them in anything else or, or what is your background with westerns really i've dabbled i've seen some of the uh with my grandfather, actually. I saw a couple of them with him, especially as he was uh, declining in health. We watched The Searchers and uh, the Western comedy Support Your Local Sheriff. <laughs> okay. If you haven't seen it, just watch it. It was one of those. I got. I sat down with Grandpa. I didn't know anything was going on. I watched the movie all the way through and loved its situations. It really is funny. It's got that whole almost not naked gun level of comedy, but still just like when they have one of the robbers in jail and his friends are trying to break him out. He's like, you're not going to be able to do that. Why not? Because I helped them put him up. They put, they put him up really well. (laughs) You'd think that it'd be a hard sell, but I, I feel like there's actually a lot of Western comedies out there. You know, I was mentioning spaghetti Westerns earlier and, I think when people think spaghetti westerns, if they're not overly familiar with the subgenre, they immediately go to like uh, the Clint Eastwood Man With No Name trilogy, which are fantastic, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. There are so many different styles of spaghetti westerns out there. There are a lot of, of comedic spaghetti westerns out there that you know sometimes work, sometimes don't. I prefer mine a little bit more gritty, so plenty of those for me as well. This movie, The Beast of Hollow Mountain, does not go comedic. For the most part, there is the drunk dad with Poncho, and there's some situational stuff with him. He's a fall-down drunk. Ha, ha, ha. Isn't that funny? Oh, the good old days when when alcoholism could be laughed at. That's right. Yeah, let's laugh laugh at the drunk Mexican. Isn't that great? Uh Uh-huh. No. No. But he loves his kid, and he's got a lot of respect and, and faith in Jimmy, the American. It leads to his downfall unfortunately. Yeah, see, he does at least have a redemption arc. You know, he 
is drunk when they find him. He feels a uh, debt of gratitude after he gets saved from a horse, which would have killed him. Let's be honest. That would have so killed anybody else. Yes. He was Mm -hmm. dragged through the streets for a while there. And he feels so indebted. They leave Sarita's. What was she doing? Basically a support house or something. Why would they have? Why would she? Something like that. Yeah. It seemed like, yeah, her role in town seemed a little nebulous. Yes, but they leave her support house. They start working diligently while everyone else has been either run off by the people disappearing or they got eaten by the Allosaurus. And yeah, they want to just help. And he's diligently out there trying to track down the missing cattle when he's eaten by the monster. Just too bad. You know, you're right. He's probably the guy who had the most complete arc because he does start from one place and goes completely it's pretty good i mean i, oh, yes. I thought it was and it's solidly performed uh poncho is played by pasquale garcia pina that's my spanish accent for the day i can't roll my r's so my apologies and he was also in the black scorpion there are a couple of people in this film who were in the black scorpion so yes uh, also we have uh carlos Rivera's who was in there as well he played uh jimmy's partner partner if that's the way to say it i think they seem no. to be uh uh, working together to get the beef ready to go to market. And he's also Mexican. The only person in this story that is not Mexican, who's not native to the area, is Jimmy, which adds this extra level of, you don't belong here, let's get you out of here, I don't care you know what you're doing, just, just get out. So there's this kind of outsider thing going on with him as well. You know, we kind of danced around a, a little bit. The story itself is, is pretty simple. You know, we, We've already said it's kind of a love story, a love triangle type piece. All taking place in this shadow of hollow mountain where people don't go. There's a swamp surrounding it and nobody ever goes there and cows and horses start disappearing. So what's going on? Well, we know because we've seen the movie poster, but, but yeah, it's pretty, a pretty basic story. It just needs just a little bit more love and attention here and there. You know what I mean? Like for example, with one of the first things I saw when I'm watching it from the beginning, I'm thinking, is that it? When they come across like, one cow carcass it's just like couldn't we get a couple more some skeletons or something they could at least think it was wolves or something and not just the swamp it just felt like there's more talk about people disappearing cow disappearing we, we get one kind of bad looking actually not bad as in mangled or anything just bad prop of a cow carcass that sunk into the quicksand yeah and there's a lot of quicksand we make sure we know there's a lot of quicksand oh yes stuck in the quicksand yeah yes there's quicksand wink over there which we just had to have a friend get pulled out of the quicksand there wink <laughs> Chekhov's quicksand is what they call it mm-hmm. <laughs> if we see quicksand at the beginning it must turn up again in the third act yeah <laughs> also i didn't feel the fear enough you know I mean, you know, there's like one portion where they're talking about the myth of Hollow Mountain. You need like the professor character to be there that could have pointed to the possibility of the dinosaur or something along the lines or someone else to bring up a story <laughs> of uh, the Hollow Mountain, you know, took my puppy or took my grandfather when he was around there. Just something more to get us scared that or just get another possible lead that it's not just the quicksand swallowing everyone up in the swamp because until we actually see the foot, the poor dino tracks going, 
You really mm-hmm. could just think, okay, yeah, quicksand. Yeah. The movie does open with this little bit of narration, and that's it. That's all you get. This movie would really benefit from that five to ten minute science lesson that Jack Arnold was known for in, in his universal science fiction monster movies. We needed that moment. Why is it called a hollow mountain? Why is it hollow? Who knows it's hollow if nobody ever goes there and comes back? Just something. Just something. Or Don Pedro, you know, the Don or governor of the local area. You know, he could have been mm-hmm. perfect to just sit down and say, legend has it, you know, I lost my grandpappy there to a demon or a beast unlike anything before i mean you know he's supposed to be the elder character the governor and last say in the area which is only in there in this point really to be the whole jimmy enrique stop fighting over your cattle dispute it's not good for the town people he's very concerned about the town the the, i guess high level safety of the town nobody likes a street fight okay let's talk about the hollow mountain (laughs) you know so there is that. I, I did like the street fight, though. I mean, I think the street fight's pretty epic for what it is. Breaking more pots than a Legend of Zelda game. I know, right? It's like this This feels like something straight out of a low-budget Raiders of the Lost Ark street market fight scene, you know? this The way they just keep going on and on and on and breaking the stalls and flipping over counters and things. But you felt it, though. It, it adds to the love triangle aspect. I mean, you know, he seriously... Jimmy barely wins the fight. He gets the beat down on Enrique. He leads him. He comes out. He looks beat up. I mean, seriously, not just the whole, oh, I got a little bruise on there. No, he's got some blood. He's got torn. He's got clothes torn. He got into a fight. No, they did not spare any expense in that. Uh, they, he's all bruised up. He's banged up. It's clear that they were really going at it. And I'm sure there were stunt doubles involved in that sort of thing. But I was pretty impressed with that. Uh, and he's also a fast draw. He's very good with the gun, very quick with the gun, which, you know, as an actor, I suppose makes sense because he's done a lot of Westerns and probably played with a lot of prop guns over the years. But he's also pretty good with the gun, which I liked. I, I understand why the uh, locals probably didn't like having this outsider come in who's just good at everything. Yeah, they, <laughs> they say why he's good at anything. Uh, was, really. he former, was he former military or something? Or just came to do some ranching? And I don't think so. He's just... A cowboy? I, I don't know if they really give him a lot of background, do they? I mean, I'll go back and watch it again, but I I don't think so. Like, we need a uh, reason to rewatch. Yeah, any monster movie, really. Listeners, if you've seen this movie recently and, and can think of a time when he mentions his background, let me know. I'd, I'd be curious to hear it. But yeah, no, he's just good at everything. I appreciate when the street fight's about to start that he does make him take his gun belt off. That it easily could have turned into a showdown situation, but instead he's like, okay, take off your gun belt, and then he takes his off, and then they go at it. So there's this, this weird sense of honor and fair play as well, which resonates with, with the westernness of it, I feel like. Oh, yes. It also is uh, counterpointed with uh, Enrique, because Enrique doesn't pull any punches at all. With uh, No. Know, Jimmy is totally doing the whole white hat thing even though his hats i actually noted that his hats weren't white at all he was wearing a couple brown i think even a black one Hmm. okay he was still pulling the whole you don't shoot a man in the back the code of the west kind of situation belt off when it's a street fight meanwhile Mm -hmm. enrique is willing to lean on the businesses for making sure they don't serve him the supplies they need the bank doesn't give him a loan even after he, Jimmy insists, okay, I'll leave, make the sale, I'll leave, just leave my buddy alone. 
Okay, I'm not going after your girl. He still's got spies working at Jimmy's ranch that they were planning on stampeding his cattle. Now that doesn't go very well for him because, well, once you get a handful of cows stampeding, uh, many others tend to join in, including cows that don't belong to the guy you were trying to <laughs> run off. So, yeah, that didn't go so well. Yeah, I think it was just uh, it was actually Enrique's cows that started the stampede because they were. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Because of the Allosaurus coming out of nowhere and just like yep. cow stampede through town on your wedding day. That will definitely ruin the event. Yeah, definitely. Do you think Sarita ever really loved Enrique? I don't think so. No, it screams marriage of not really marriage of convenience, because, but more like Sarita. He's the richest man in town. You have to marry him. It feels like a, an arranged marriage almost. Arranged, it's not quite. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, it was. A, it, it's not a convenience. It's arranged. Yeah, mom and dad said he's the richest guy in town. You should uh, marry him. He'll take care of you. And there's even that moment of dialogue, the exchange that she has with Jimmy, and he points out that being grateful for somebody isn't the same as being in love with somebody. And that actually I thought was a pretty good exchange, a nice line, a nice moment. So not only is he good at everything, he's also this like cowboy philosopher, you know, <laughs> this cowboy going around. Just, I liked the guy. I would hang out with this guy. Yeah, he's uh, cool. Well, he's good people. I mean, yeah. and unfortunately, him and uh, Sarita, every moment they're together is noticed, it seems. Like every even non- Chalant meeting or discussion is found by somebody and it gets back to Enrique and his jealousy just builds and builds. If I didn't know anybody, I'd figure the city liked seeing Enrique and Jimmy get into fights all the time because they're always running to tell him, hey, I saw Sarita with that guy. You know, what are you going to do about it? Oh, okay. And then he does this 10 minute march across town to start a fight with him. But every moment, uh, helping her down from her horse or just an exchange in town or something. And I mean, I, I could see it. I mean, the way he brings her off her horse, you know, they're real close. They exchange a look and, you know, Jimmy's feeling it, but he's not going to go there because that's not the right thing to do. What a good guy. Yeah. I liked him a lot. I feel like I would have liked to have seen the monster, the beast actually in town. Defeating the monster happens way too quickly. There's no moment of uh, replan and counterattack, which you really need in like any good giant monster movie to help build to the situation. Right. You've got to have that. The monster goes on a rampage moment and then you think about what you're going to do. And then you, you know, you don't really have that. It's just the monster's loose. Let's uh, run around and shoot at it a little bit. And the movie ends. Yeah. It's really a counterattack of convenience. Mm -hmm. Jimmy is uh, looking for Panchito, the kid who is looking for his father still, even though one of Sarita's uh, bridesmaids or someone who's helping her on her wedding day just mm -hmm. says out of nowhere, yeah, your dad's dead. It's just like, I looked at her, I'm like, that was cold much. <laughs> subtle, real yeah, subtle. Yeah, lady. yeah. Kudos, yeah. you know, you should write greeting cards. <laughs> Maybe it translates better in Spanish. I don't know. Maybe it just sounds better that way. I don't know. But yeah, it was it, pretty, pretty blunt. So of course, Penchito now, doesn't matter what Jimmy told him, doesn't matter what Sarita told him, he's going to go find his dad. And unfortunately, finding dad means finding the Allosaurus. Yeah. And Sarita goes after Panchito, finds him as he's running. There is something I really liked about that scene. Okay. Because Panchito comes up, Sarita sees the monster, 
no scream. No scream upon seeing the monster, which means that her initial response was to be strong and not be afraid. I appreciated that, too. I noticed that as well. Panchita freaks out. He screams. But he's a little kid, and he's seeing a dinosaur coming at him. And, I mean, I, I get it. But you're right. She she has a moment, but it's just real quick. She doesn't scream. She bundles up Panchita, and she takes off with him. She's a protector. She's a strong character here. And I, I appreciated that so much about that one moment. Especially because otherwise this movie totally fails the Bechdel test of, you know, <laughs> two women, two, there are no, there are, when the two women in this movie talk, it is not about anything that isn't man related. I mean, it's, it's a strong female character moment and really she's kind of driving a lot of the story here and, and has some of the more interesting interactions with people in the town and in the story overall, when she's talking with Jimmy, you know, I don't want to see you have to leave, but, you know, I'm engaged to Enrique. It's just a really interesting character here. I would have liked to have spent more time. Like you said at the beginning of all this, we didn't need the monster. I mean, I can't believe I'm saying that on Monster Kid Radio, but we didn't need the monster here. I want to know more about what's going on with this love triangle. You think it's blasphemy, dear listeners, but if you actually watch the movie, you'll see what we're talking about. Right. And I know we've spoiled a lot of it here, and, and there's a spoiler warning on every episode these days. But if you haven't seen this... It's easy to get your hands on now. The Blu-ray transfer is beautiful. I mean, for a movie from the 50s, from a studio that, or, or a production company that, I mean, you probably have never even heard of, it holds up really, really well. It really does. It just, it needs that little bit more of love, unfortunately. It needs it the, uh, it needs an extra scene here. It needs a little bit more props there. It needs the just extra minute of dialogue at the end just something because it does just kind of end i think worse than uh the first daimajin movie to get us to another giant monster because in terms of the daimajin trilogy personally i think the second one is the best of the three in terms of the first one daimajin comes alive is able to get his revenge on those that wronged the princess and then or the nobleman's daughter and she begs for him or her to stop he agrees and he his spirit leaves the statue and it falls to pieces the end Mm -hmm. at least we know that essentially the bad guys are dead and we know that now they have the ability to rebuild but with this case you know we had too many plot threads with the beast of hollow mountain that we could have used that extra minute enrique is either dead or needing wheelchair access after his uh, event. The Wikipedia description says he's dead. He seemed to be, but it just seemed like from the way Jimmy dragged him, he still had some life to him. That could have just been just a bad actor moment. Wasn't being dead weight enough, but (laughs) at the same time, it just seems like, okay, so is Enrique dead and now Jimmy doesn't have a reason to stay and can help rebuild the town and stuff because of what happened? Or is Enrique had a near-death experience, is in a wheelchair, needs Jimmy's cattle to help rebuild the town and make amends because probably has a lot of bills now to pay for the damages cows did in the town and he feels a debt of gratitude? Or essentially we just need to know, is Jimmy going to stay now? You know, because he was leaving. He was trying to do the honorable thing of leaving, so... 
uh, Enrique would leave everyone alone and his buddy Felipe would be able to run the ranch and Panchito would be able to be raised under Sarita as basically a stepson now because she would be married to Enrique and, you know, happily ever after-ish, or at least, you know, as best as they could be. But now, what happened? I mean, did Jimmy stay? Did he take Sarita? Did they rebuild the farm and help repair the town and take Panchito as their stepson adopted situation? We This one has too much plot thread still. It could easily go to... He's now got an instant family, and that would be satisfying, but we don't quite get there. And, you know, I think that's kind of something that we get with a lot of not just monster movies from the 40s, 50s, and so on, but even now, when you've got some sort of genre film, all this crazy stuff happens, and then it ends. And there's a part of me that wants to know, how do these people move on? After everything that's happened, I don't know if you've seen it, but I just recently rewatched the John Agar film, The Brain from Planet Eros, and everything that happens in that movie, I mean, it's a great film and, and probably one of John Agar's best, but everything that happens in this movie, spoiler alert, you know, he's possessed by this evil alien guy going around doing stuff with the government and nuclear or atomic weapons tests and all that, killing people in front of government officials. Well, when the movie ends, it just kind of ends like, oh, everything's Okay wouldn't the government want to throw this guy in jail or lock him up? Nope. Nobody's even worried about any of that. You know, I want to know what the next step is. I want to know what the resolution is, the, the fallout after all that. And this is one of those movies that has that kind of, well, what happens next? And maybe it's because we don't spend so much time with the, with the monster. Maybe it's because we spend so much time with the human characters and the love triangle and the, the soap opera drama happening here that, yeah, 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 the monster's a nice interruption. Let's get back to what really happened. Oh, the movie's over. You're just like me, Derek. You know, we live for the prologue. Yeah. We love, yeah. we live for the prologue. We need to know, okay, the characters just faced hell and high water. Where do you go from there? Mm-hmm. You know, a good prologue, dear listeners, doesn't always have to set up for a sequel. Sometimes the good prologue just gives you the satisfaction you need. It just gives you the whole, this is what happens next. This is what was worth uh, the suffering for. Just one a little bit more. Just a little bit more. <sighs> so close. Oh, well. Oh, well. Okay. I, st- I still like the movie a lot, and a-, a lot more than a lot of the internet reviewers seem to like it. There there are some YouTubers out there that just were not fans of this at all. But, you know, they're lost. I-, I really dig it, and I'd recommend it. I didn't regret not seeing it. I do recommend it. It's just, mm-hmm. unfortunately, there exists a movie. We both know there exists a movie with better effects, better story, and would uh, be a better watch overall, Yep. which is a shame because that means that essentially if we have only one option when it comes to getting someone interested in a uh, giant monster movie, we got to go with A instead of B, but that doesn't mean option B is necessarily bad. It's just option A is better and people don't always have the time to hit up both A and B. You know, if, if I was doing a double feature with this and Valley of Guanji, this would be the first film because you want to go off on that high note in Guanji. It's a better film. It's got a bigger budget. It's got better effects, of course, uh, a wonderful music. I like the music in this one okay, but it's not like I'm ever going to be able to find it on CD or anything. Right. Which is too bad. I'd love to add it just because I'm a film score junkie. But, <laughs> you know, um, 
overall, it's a good movie. It's kind of a blip on the radar when you look at other stop motion pictures, of course. Uh, the weird Western category or subgenre is pretty small, especially from this era. So it's probably a bigger deal in that circle than it has any right to be. But still, I, I mean, I dig it. I think uh, Guy Madison is a good leading man, especially for a cowboy. The guy looks like he was made to make Westerns and his filmography, his resume is filled with them, uh, both television and film wise. So at least you've got that going for it, you know? Yes. And also the chemistry is there. I mean, Oh yeah. Sarita and Jimmy are, you feel it. You feel like they are totally, uh, flirting with one another. And you know, Mm -hmm. it's not one of those whole, Oh yeah, they're in love situations. Like, no, you actually feel like he's, going after he talks with her to uh, the watering hole and putting his head straight in to keep his mind on task. It's, it's a palpable chemistry. It is really solid. You know, I was looking a little bit more about trying to look into the, uh, the filmmakers a little bit more and the director, Edward Nassour, uh, he only made, he only directed one other film. He was more of a producer type, but the other film that he directed was called Emilio and his magical bull, which was written by, Willis O'Brien. So I, I don't know if they had a relationship or a connection or, or what the background is there. I, I'd like to know, learn more about it. I, I have to say, and bad monster kid, you know, I just slapped my hand uh, for anybody, but for anybody who's hearing this, I, I don't know as much about Willis O'Brien's background as I do say like Harryhausen. And I think part of it's because Harryhausen was around more recently and was able to participate in documentaries and interviews and things like that. I need to dig a little deeper and learn more about O'Brien and his background and his history. And what the heck? I want to see this Emilio and his magical bowl. It's about an hour long from 75. And the IMDb says it's animation. So I'm assuming it's stop motion, maybe? Well, in fairness, though, you know, in your defense, Derek, before Kong itself, the original, is Mm -hmm. looking at about midway of... uh, O'Brien's career. He's got a bunch of films that came before it that yeah. fit into that whole not only just archive.org level uh free domain stuff. Some of them just sound like, you know, they could there's a good chance they could be lost to time. I mean, have you heard of something called uh Morpheus Mike? I feel like I probably should just because of the way you led up to that. Um. <laughs> I only say that because it's one of the things in his uh, I'm looking at his filmography right now. And The Dinosaur and the Missing Link, A Prehistoric Tragedy, is his first movie ever, and that's 1915. We're talking about a film that's 100 years old at this point. Huh. You gotta give uh, Derek some leeway here. I mean, some of these, <laughs> well, some of these films are over a hu- are a hundred years old. Sometimes it's hard to keep up with movies 50, 40, even in the last 20 years because they slip through the cracks. A hundred yeah. years old, you know, that's the kind of thing you got to start visiting film museums and stuff just to get shown. And even then, it's you sit down in an uncomfortable bench as it's on the projection screen with about 15 other people you don't know to watch something. But it's usually worth it. Oh, uh, I, 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 I tell you that. It's not yeah. worth it. You know, the, the quest for a good film, even or just a film that you've been searching for for a while. No matter how bad it is, there's always some level of satisfaction of, I found it. I, I like the cinema archaeology aspect of, of old cinema, of, of 
classic Hollywood and beyond. I love that that element, that part of it. It's one of the things that drives me as a monster kid and just a film fan. I love kind of digging and finding these little gems here and there. Just kind of unearth them and shine a little light on them. You know, I, I don't think Beast of Hollow Mountain is one of those hidden gems now that you know, Shout Factory's put it out on Blu-ray. But, you know, a couple of years ago, it might have been. I would have loved the Beast to destroy the town a little bit more. But overall, yeah, I'm glad I watched it. I dig it. Thumbs up for you, it sounds like. Yep. To tie this back into your book, did you learn anything from this movie that would prepare you for a monster attack? Anything in this film listeners can watch out for? I don't think my book actually mentions the possibility of quicksand, but that's up in the air a little bit. I thought the Mythbusters actually proved that you actually can't drown in quicksand, or just science in general prove that quicksand doesn't have as much of an effect as Hollywood made it to be. Sure. I mean, essentially, if this had gone through the way of science, the Allosaurus would have been uh, probably gone up to like its waist or stomach or, you know, some level of, well, that slowed it down. Now what? It's slowly coming toward us. It's going to pull itself out in about an hour. We should be an hour away by then. And they even kind of play with that just a touch because when they have the close-up of the dinosaur feet, it does get in some mud and then kind of step back a little bit and then go forward again. But that's about it. I did like their unique aspect of the rope swing that Jimmy used to get him to fall into it. <laughs> that one, that, that was one that I didn't actually uh, have a section about live bait in the book because I was going to say, I don't think there's anything about using yourself as a bait. (laughs) I I purposely decided not to put that in the book just in case some reader did find themselves in a situation where they could be half tempted (laughs) to use themselves as bait. And I cannot condone anyone putting themselves in such a hazardous situation. So this is not a recommended survival tip from you. (laughs) No, no. Um, The recommended survival tip I would have had was, just run. You had horses, and it was slow, and there was still some patches of desert through there. That I actually do have in my book. If you have patches of forest, serpentine. Lose the giant monster in the brush and get away. Yeah. And that could have actually led into that second appearance with the counterattack, and given what they had to work with, dynamite out of nowhere, probably. There was no establishment of anything like with the giant Gila monster, wherein they check off gunned it a little bit with, uh, hey, I got some nitro. You better watch it with that nitro. You know, you shake it too much, it'll take out (laughs) three blocks. They at least had that in the Gila monster. Yeah. It was more of a, going back to the cards, uh, it was more of a killer shrew solution of, hey, look at this thing right here. If we use it properly, we can survive because Mm -hmm. in the killer shrews, they're able to survive by essentially making a tank out of drums that they used to walk to the beach with and survive. It was one of those things. Oh, we had this the whole time. It was just, it wasn't even Chekhov gun. It was just in the background. Yep. Exactly. I mean, they would have needed something like, I don't know, uh, given what they had on hand, maybe make some mention of tranquilizers that they could have fed to the thing that they could have put around a cow and sacrificed a cow. And that ending is kind of less than anticlimactic because instead of a dead Allosaurus, you have one that's just really sleepy. Hmm. 
at least it's properly disposed of, but there's no mention of anyone mining around, so there's no dynamite, there's no... And hail of gunfire, I don't know, just that, you know, unless it's a special gun or something, a giant monster being destroyed by a hail of gunfire seems so seems just as anticlimactic it does and i'm reminded of one of my absolute favorite movies uh, from the 80s because i'm a monster kid is the monster squad Mm -hmm. and you've got the dracula the wolfman you know you kill him with a stake or a silver bullet or whatever you've got this gill man character and he gets taken out by a shotgun that's it moving on to the next one it's so anticlimactic and i mean if you've got this monstrous threat you need more than just a bunch of guns to take it out, I feel like, right? I mean, come on. It just seems kind of, meh. Oh, that's all it took? You need more. Yeah. You need the dynamite, the nitro, the quicksand tar pit, something. But now we're getting off into hypotheticals and, and what ifs, and <laughs> which really there's a lot about this movie that what if could have made it even better. But like I said, I still enjoy it. I still recommend the Blu-ray. I still recommend a watch or two. It's got some solid acting. It looks great. Like I said, I'm going to say again, the transfer is amazing and the colors pop in that little town. And I understand why they didn't trash it. It's a standing studio. It's something that's been in use and recently as like some of the Resident Evil movies. Now it's a standing studio in Mexico, so you can't destroy it. But I would have liked to see a little bit more model work or something just to show it off a little bit more. Is the sound quality improved? It's okay. Um, Because yeah, the archive.org version that they had, it just... Turning up my speakers to the max on my computer, I actually had to put in through a, a cable the Blu-ray speakers we had, and just like oh wow, okay, well, I'm, you know, I'm turning it up to a level of loudness that I just I shouldn't have to just to be able to get general dialogue. The sound is much better than that, well, <laughs> much better than, than that. yeah, than even for improved uh, that way. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I've been wholeheartedly agreeing with uh, Blu-ray transfers are great for giant monster movies. Yes, there's a chance you can see a wire or two here and there in some films, but especially with the Toho's, once you go Blu-ray, it looks so beautiful in terms of colors. My you can my, see, oh gosh, my greatest yeah. example is Godzilla versus Hedera. The Blu-ray version, as they go toward the final fight, I noticed for the first time as I watched it, Godzilla's hand, thanks to all the acid spit, is down to bone. Because, oh, wow. yeah, I, I just thought it was a little charred or something. But no, thanks to the proper coloring, it's down to the bone because it's eating away so fast. His healing factor can't keep up. And it's just, wow. oh, my God, that, that that's one moment made the entire made me realize I have to get Blu-ray for every giant monster movie I can <laughs> get from now on. No that- joke. That is so beautiful. You know, especially with the Toho monster movies, they they did not spare any expense. They really did put their all into just making them look as good as their budget would allow them. The colors alone and the models. I mean, I know they're only on screen for a minute or two, and maybe a lesser studio would have said, ah, you know, we're going to stomp on it. Who cares about the details? But Toho didn't. Toho did not skimp on any of that. And yeah, I agree. I I love watching these monster movies, these giant monster movies on on Blu-ray, especially the color films from Toho. Just fantastic looking. I'm going to go back and watch that one to see the charred hand or I guess the eaten away hand. I've never really noticed that, but I'll have to go watch it and see. Darn, another monster movie I have to go back and rewatch. Oh, dang. It's a miracle I get anything else done around here. I know the feeling, trust me. <laughs> well, and you've got more books to write, I assume, right? I've got some things planned. 
Okay. Like, in general, I've got to say, since the handbook came out, the creative writing side has been really kicking it. I've really finally found that balance I need between the creative writing, the editing, and the social writing, because I'm still contributing to monkeysfightingrobots.com, the geek news and culture website. Just did a couple uh, comic book reviews this week, and I've actually got, uh, after we're done with this, I'll probably review the latest episode of Attack on Titan. Mm, Okay. But yeah, the proper balance is happening, and yeah, I've got some things in the work that, unfortunately, they're still... I'm at a major edit still, and I'm only about a third of the way done with something we talked about, but it's it has made, it's <laughs> already at a third of the way done, so it's coming out really fast. So if I can get it... Really? It's just really flowing well, and so fingers crossed, it could be done this year, publisher, book a year, I could be okay with that level of production. Well, I, I know what he's talking about, and I'm not going to say what it is, listeners, because it's not my story to tell, and I'm not going to spoil it, but... If it's what I think it is, oh, wow, that's great. That's fantastic. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Severed Press is the publisher for the handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack. It's available on Amazon. You can get it for your Kindle as well. So there are ebook versions available as well. Again, Monster Kid Radio seal of approval. I'm digging it. And I'm not just saying that because I consider you a friend. It, it's a informative read and it really gets you thinking about what you would do if you ended up trapped in one of these giant monster movies i can't wait to see what comes next thank you kindly derek severedpress.com is the publisher for anthony's book you can also pick it up on amazon in fact if you are a kindle user and i think you have to be an amazon prime member to use kindle unlimited if you're a kindle unlimited user you can get this book for free on your kindle he still gets a cut, don't worry, but you can get it for free and check it. It's like checking a book out from the e-library, the Amazon library. Check it out. Or you can just buy the book. It's eleven ninety five on Amazon. Anthony, thanks for being part of the show and best of luck with what's coming next. Most terrifying news of all. At nightfall, monstrous animals crawl out of crater of volcano. Great herds of cattle stampede before this living inferno. Vast area devastated by appalling new horror. A creature named the Black Scorpion by panic-stricken people of San Lorenzo. Entire population prays for deliverance. For miles around, cowboys came upon one dead steer after another. One of them had heard the tale of the demon bull of the Maricopa. Having lost family or friends, something absolutely unknown. We could be in another world. Nation's leaders confer as news received a possible threat to capital. This is a city of four million people. If word of these leaks out, the panic of the population could be worse than the scorpions. The black scorpion destroys communications. Hundreds annihilated. never achieved before by any science fiction picture.
thousands in the cast. ship like this. And this is our control center, the very heart of the Albatross. We have now reached a speed of 203 miles an hour, quite literally a ship of the sky. Vincent Price, perfectly cast as the idealist who pictures himself master of the world. His unwilling guests are Charles Bronson, Henry Hull, Mary Webster, David Frankham, Four people terrorized into desperate action. Sentenced to terrifying punishment. I am a man unto myself, Mr. Prudent, who has declared war against war. That is the purpose for which this ship was built. You below. This is Robber speaking. Do exactly as I say. You have no choice. sit by and watch Rover decimate the entire world. And what else can we do, Mr. Strzok? Destroy the Albatross. And ourselves with it? Moment by moment, you cross over new horizons with Master of the World. So how would you describe a podcast like The Shared Desk? It's a podcast that took its sweet time to do a promo. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I think that goes without saying. I mean, you could say The Shared Desk is a podcast about collaboration, because that's what we do. Well, the, wait, wait, wait. There's a lot more to The Shared Desk. You got our Loot Crate looky Lou. Oh, what's in the box? And then what we're doing when we're not writing, usually it's pretty nerdy. Nerd! And then there are the drop-ins. Has the whole world gone crazy? Yes, there are drop-ins. And we love having guests on the show. It's the shared desk after all. And if it's Katie or Lauren, you get some lovely singing as well. So find the shared desk on iTunes, Stitcher, or at thesharedesk.com. The shared desk. Two writers. One podcast. Different different points points of view. view. So that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for sticking around and being part of the audience this week, downloading the show and hopefully sharing the episode with your friends, people who would dig this kind of stuff, these movies, let them know about what we do here on the podcast. You can find everything you need to know about the podcast over at monsterkidradio.net. This is where you're going to find our contact information. I reviewed it at the top of the show. I'm going to review it again. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Or you can call and leave us a voicemail. It's 503-4795-MKR. That's 503-4795-657. Also from here, you're going to find links to our Facebook page, 
which you can like, and our Facebook group, which you can join. We are pretty active on Facebook, and if you want to be part of that monster action, well, that's how you do it. Just pop up to Facebook, and I mean, do I have to spell? Just go to Facebook and like the page and join the group and get involved with conversations of other listeners of Monster Kid Radio between episodes or even while you listen. You can also become a patron of Monster Kid Radio by clicking on the Patreon button and be taken to our Patreon page and help support the show that way. We have a list of every single movie that we've talked about here on the show over on Letterboxd. And hey, if you want to be a guest on the show, there's a button for you to click and fill out a quick survey there. And I'll be following up with you in a few weeks. Maybe have you on as a guest on a future episode of the podcast. Okay, um, next week, there, there's a chance there's going to be a delay. Not 100% sure yet, but those of you who do follow me on Facebook, those of you who know me in quote-unquote real life, know that my little brother Kevin passed away last Friday night. Um, it was unexpected. He hadn't been well for a while, but we, we really didn't expect it to happen the way that it did. And he lives in a different state, and he left a wife and a daughter behind. So there's a lot of things going on right now here at the Monster Kid Radio Castle. Not sure what it's going to do for next week's episode. When we do have next week's episode, I've got Mark Bailey on the show. He's never been on the show before. We're going to be talking about a program, a presentation that he does regarding giant monsters attacking New York City. So that's going to be coming down the line. So stay tuned for that when we do come back. I don't anticipate this being a long break, but... I hope you guys and gals can understand that if there is a delay, this is why. Uh, my little brother Kevin has never been on Monster Kid Radio. He was on one episode of my old zombie movie podcast, episode number 25 of Mail Order Zombie, where we talked about the Night of the Living Dead 3D remake. I can't remember what year that movie came out in, uh, but we were doing a big Night of the Living Dead thing spectacular on mail order zombie and i had him along for the ride I, I always thought it'd be cool to get him back on the show and every once in a while we talked about maybe having him on this show to talk about the monster squad a little bit because he likes that movie um obviously that's not going to happen so i appreciate everybody's support everybody who reached out to me on facebook and by email it means a lot to me thank you so much it means a lot to me and my wife and the rest of my family thank you so much um we will be back soon and if you can, maybe give your family a hug, even if they don't like monster movies. Until we come back, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song El Esqueleto. It's from the band Los Deformes. It's on their EP, Saturn 05. You can find them at losdeformes.bandcamp.com. That's L-O-S-D-E-F-O-R-M-E-S.bandcamp.com. Or just follow the link in the show notes or look them up on Facebook. The EP's got four albums. You can get it for five euros. I dig it. And I think you'll dig it too. Until next time, I am Derek M. Cook. You've been listening to Monster Kid Radio. Ciao. La Luna. Estoy en la Luna.